you have your Bibles with you this evening, I would invite you to turn to the first letter of John near the back of your Bibles. Our text this evening is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, Lord, we ask that You would meet with us this evening. Meet with us through Your word. Do not allow us to go another day unchanged, O Lord. Mold us more and more into the image of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we long to be pure, to be righteous, to be good. And yet it is only by Your grace, O Lord, only through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can be found righteous. Bless us this evening, O Lord. Remind us of our duty. Spur us on to love and to good deeds. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. One of the things about our world today is that there is a hatred of truth. It's actually deeper than that. There is a hatred of true truth. That is, truth that is true for all time, for all people in all situations. There are plenty of people who will admit to you that certain things can be true for them and not true for you or vice versa. 
But when it comes to finding eternal, non-relativistic, absolute truth, our world hates that concept. And the irony is that in a world that does not like the truth, we are constantly bombarded with falsehoods. It's gotten to the point now that even in ordinary and everyday interactions, you can't repeat something, report something, unless you go to Snopes.com, an official website to tell you that about 90% of what you see is fabricated. You see, we live in a world where people just want to say whatever they want to get whatever they want. But if the reality of the universe is that there is indeed true truth, then how should it affect the way that we live as Christians and how should it affect how we view our faith? That's what John is getting at here this evening in this text. He is setting up for us yet another test of what it means to be a Christian. You recall that in the past he has shown us a relationship test of what it means to be a Christian. To be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ means to have fellowship with the Father and with those who believe on the Son. We've seen previously in in this chapter that there is a moral test that can be applied. That those who do what is right, those who obey the Lord Jesus Christ, show that they truly believe in Him. Well, this evening we see a doctrinal test, a truth test, that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is dependent upon what we say and believe is true. And that has a real effect on our lives. The truth divides. It divides between true and false between real and fake. And that's what we see here as John speaks about the church and Christianity in general. The very first thing we see as we come to this test is that there are true and false Christians. Now, it may seem self-evident, but not everyone who just stands up and says, I am a Christian, is indeed a follower of Christ. This has become very common in our day and age as people claim to be Christians and yet don't read their Bibles, don't follow their Bibles, and don't believe in the central tenets of the Christian faith. They just simply want to be able to say that they're a Christian and mold their own philosophy around this. This shouldn't surprise us because this happened in John's day as well. John calls these sorts of people antichrists. Now, when John begins to speak about the Antichrist, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, our ears perk up. And we wonder, what will Antichrist look like? Will he come from Europe? Will he come from Japan? Will he be tall or small? What nationality will he be? What languages will he speak? You see, I think we tend to to move toward the fantastical, toward a single figure that somehow will drape the world in darkness. When in reality, there is a spiritual principle of Antichrist that has been seen in the world throughout all of time. You see, John is not trying to lecture those in the church. He's not attempting to scare them. He is showing his care and concern for them. He opens this passage up by calling them children. What he is trying to do is to give them theology that they can put in action. And the truth that they need to know, and that we need to know, 
is that there is opposition to Jesus. This goes all the way back into the Old Testament. The Antichrist is not a revelation thing. It is not a modern Christian movie thing. The idea of opposition to Jesus Christ goes all the way back throughout all of the Old Testament. It goes back to the earliest days of the gospel in Genesis 3. Satan himself who would oppose Jesus and would oppose the Christ through every means possible. You see, what we need to know is that there is opposition to Jesus and that means there are always rivals for your attention. There are always those who seek to draw you away from the truth of the gospel, from its comfort. They want you to be worried. There are those who seek to draw you away from the peace that's found in the gospel. They want you to be in turmoil. They want you to be drawn away from the certainty of the gospel of grace. They want you to be at odds, warring within yourself and with others. You see, Jesus has opponents. And this is a truth and a principle that we need to understand. But this principle is more than just theory. You see, John says, you have heard Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Now, at first glance, that seems odd. It seems like John hasn't caught himself. Is there one Antichrist or a lot of Antichrists? And I think here the answer is yes. You see, there is a principle of Antichrist that opposes Jesus and everything that he does and his kingdom, and that principle brings itself into practical operation into our lives day by day, year by year, generation by generation. You see, we tend to think of Antichrist as some great figure to come in the future, some cosmic boogeyman to look out for in time to come. And now we're safe. We tend to think in apocalyptic terms about Antichrist. But you see, John wants us to understand that there is a spiritual force at work here and there is a human expression to this spiritual force. Antichrist is something that we see around us all the time. It's something that we need to be on our guard against and aware of all the time. Specifically here, John is referring to the false teachers of his day. Those who oppose the truth of the gospel. Who say that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Who say that you must believe their secret knowledge. Who say that they have a corner on wisdom and salvation. But it's also something that we see even in our own day, isn't it? Everywhere around us, there are false teachers. All you have to do is listen to the radio. Or watch Christian TV. Read certain websites. And you will see that there are those who seek to promulgate a Christian faith, so-called, that has nothing to do with the scriptures and the truth of God's word. But there are also those who are around us all the time who are, strictly speaking, deniers of God's word. Isn't there? Those even within the church who deny God's word as authoritative, who deny God's word as the foundation for all that we are to believe and to practice. I just read a story this past week of a man's journey in the church. He said that he started coming to church when a friend invited him to a youth event. 
And that he came and was excited by what was going on. And he would go to church, even though it didn't seem that he got much out of it. He, he was excited by the trappings and what was going on. But he realized that the things that he thought and believed weren't really what the Bible taught. And so, at the end of the day, he said to himself that I had to stop being a Christian. Because I wasn't going to give up what I thought was right just because the Bible said something else. You see, we see this all around us. People don't take the Bible seriously. They want their standards to become the standard. You see, there are those who deny the truth of God's Word. and They are Antichrist. We also see those who water down the truth, who are afraid to stand boldly and declare the full testimony of Scripture. It is discouraging to me as a minister of the gospel how often I speak with people who say, I'm saddened because no one seems to care about inerrancy, that the Bible is true. No one seems to want to speak about creation and how God can create all things out of nothing. No one wants to speak about how God has created male and female. It's discouraging when in the churches in America today, there are far too many who are afraid to speak the bold truth of God's word because they are afraid it will offend. This is Antichrist. Jesus was never afraid of God's word. Jesus was never concerned or worried about what consequences would come to him for standing on God's word. As a matter of fact, as we saw this morning, Jesus was led to his death for standing upon God's word. How can we follow him and not do likewise? To do otherwise is to be antichrist. And when those who oppose Jesus are found... They depart from the midst of the fellowship. John has one of the most profound things to say about the Christian faith in all of the scripture in verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see, it should not frighten us To see others go. I think sometimes we're afraid when we see others abandon the faith or leave the church. We wonder whether we're next. Do we have enough faith to make it? Can we stand up? But the truth of it is, is that they left because they were never of us, John says. There is a sense in which we have to persevere in the Christian faith. But that perseverance does not bring about salvation That perseverance is a sign of salvation. Those who depart from the church are those who were never really believers to begin with. That's critically important for us to understand. For we should not take our own faith lightly. We should seek to persevere. But yet at the same time, we should not be like those who have risen up in our modern day who say you cannot have any assurance of faith. This has been sweeping through Protestant and Reformed circles. And it has more in line with Roman Catholicism than with biblical Christianity. Some of you may have heard of the famous Roman Catholic theologian Bellarmine. He was an opponent of Calvin. He was the Pope's theologian. 
And he said, the greatest Protestant heresy is not justification by faith, not sola scriptura, but assurance. Because you see, unless you have a biblical view of justification, you view justification as something you have to keep. But John tells us that we need not be concerned about that, that if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our only Savior, then we will persevere because God is at work within us. Not because of our strength, but because of who God is. You see, this is what it means to be one of the children of God. Perseverance is critically important. By continuing in the faith, we show the reality of our faith in Christ. What makes the difference then between those who go out and those who remain? John tells us in verse 20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. You see, what makes the difference is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to help us to understand God's Word, to help us to to apply it to our own lives. You see, John refutes the claims of his opponents that there's some sort of special experience that they need to have. He says, our hope is in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers, young and old, mature and brand new. Our hope is also found in the knowledge that we have, not in some kind of secret knowledge that we build up, but in the knowledge that we all have. You all have this knowledge, John says. It is the knowledge that Jesus Christ saves sinners. In that simple confession of faith, that Jesus is Lord, that I am a sinner and that Jesus saves me by faith, We are found children of God. Now we need this difference, don't we? Because life can be hard. Life can be confusing. And we are always under attack in the world. There are so many people who want us to abandon our faith. Who would be joyful if we say we're not sure about the scriptures. Or we don't know who Jesus is. And so what John tells us is that we can be assured and we can be assured that we already have what we need and we don't need to go running after other things. In verse 21 he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, not because you need something new and fresh, but because you know it and no lie is of the truth. You may have heard me say before, and I will say it again, my job is never to teach you anything new. My job is to simply remind you over and over again of the great truths of God's Word that have never changed for millennia. If you come across something that is brand new and no one has ever heard of in the Scriptures and is striking, beware. They have a name for people like that usually heretic. You see, what we need, we already have. This is the gracious God that we serve. Why would he ask us to jump through many hoops and to find secret knowledge just to have a relationship with him? 
To be right with God is to believe that message that is old and tried and true and simple. So simple that a child can understand it. The problem is, though, is that out there in the world is a second thing. It's the big lie. And we see this in verses 22 and 23. The nature of the lie is that it is at the core of what we believe about Jesus. Look at what John says. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. You see, the core lie that the world and the devil wants you to believe is that Jesus is not the Messiah you need. That Jesus did not come in the flesh. That Jesus is not God. You see, at its core, the lie is all about Jesus. Because everything else is on the periphery. If the enemy can get you to believe the big lie, then other lies flow from that, don't they? We begin to think that we are righteous in our own actions. We begin to think that the world is spinning out of control. We begin to think that there's no purpose in life. We begin to be lost and despair. But all of that flows from the big lie that Jesus is not who the scriptures say that he is. You see, the spirit of Antichrist believes that you can be in a right relationship without Jesus. And this is the thing that brings all philosophies and all other religions together. That we can be right with God and the universe without Jesus. It's what Plato taught in his theory of the ideals. It's what Islam teaches through works righteousness. It's what Hinduism and Buddhism teach through reincarnation. It's what the twisting of the gospel of grace teaches, that we can come to God on our own merits. You see, the lie is that you don't need Jesus. This is what Satan wants you to believe. And the effect of this lie is that not only do we lose the Son, John says, but by losing the Son, we lose the Father. Look at verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. I love how John is so simple and direct in his statements. There's no so to speak. There's no as it were. There's no nuancing. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the Father. Period. Stop trying to pretend otherwise. I find it refreshing that the apostle of love is so direct. You see, if we understand the effect of this lie is that spiritual disaster flows from a failure to trust in Christ. Because after all, only the Son can reveal the Father. And only the Son can reconcile us with the Father. And our fellowship with the Father depends upon us, therefore, confessing the Son. And so, if we fall for the big lie, in the end, we have nothing. We have no fellowship. We have no morality. We have no truth. We have no hope. John wants us to trust the truth of the gospel, not to believe this big lie. 
Well, then what then are we to do? How do we protect ourselves against the big lie? It would be nice if we could find a place and find a shot, an inoculation that would inoculate us against the falsehood of the big lie. But John gives us something better than that. He reminds us that we have protections against the lie in verses 24 through 27. The first protection that we have against the lie is the truth of the gospel. You see, if we know the difference between false and true believers, if we understand the nature of what heresy is, if we see the consequences of heresy, then we have to have two things that remain in us. And the first and foremost is the gospel. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust in Him with all of your heart, soul, and strength, you will be forgiven your sins. That great and simple truth is not just sufficient on day one of your faith. It's sufficient for every day of your faith. This is the message that we've heard from the beginning, but it's a message that never loses its power. We don't need to go up levels. This is not like scaling the heights of academia where we learn the basics of arithmetic and work our way up to calculus. No, this is a simple truth that has the same power each and every day of our lives. But at the same time, we have to understand that it's not something that's automatic in our lives. It's not something that we can put on autopilot. We must take steps to ensure that it remains before our eyes and in our minds. Because you see, there are always the latest ideas to come about. As I said earlier, there's been a great controversy in the Reformed world in the last decade about how Paul was wrong about justification by faith. And how really... We get into God's family by grace, but we stay in by works. We need to have covenant faithfulness. You see, this is the latest fad to come down into the church. It's not the first. Sometimes, however, it are the same old attacks that come against us. Inerrancy is a good example of that. There are so many that want you to believe that the Bible is Sort of true. Partly true. True where they want it to be true. But it is not the inspired word of God perfect in all of its parts. You see, these attacks come after us and we need to be ready and prepared to face them with the truth of the gospel in our hands and before our eyes. Because you see, truth is what brings about spiritual communion with God. By remaining In His promise, John says. That is where we remain in Him. That is how we see and know we have eternal life. By knowing and understanding the promise that God has given to us in His Word. And eternal life then is the manifestation of that forgiveness and fellowship that we receive as a result of the truth. We need to understand the truth of the Gospel. The second thing we need is the true spirit. John writes this, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Now John here appears to be continuing to speak about truth and teaching. But really what he's talking about is the one who teaches. The one who holds us on track. The one who brings to us the truth and the conviction of God's word. And that is the Holy Spirit. He is the true spirit. We know that God the Father is the God of truth. We know that Jesus is the way and what? The truth and the life. And so the Spirit also is the true Spirit of truth. He keeps us with the gospel before our eyes. He teaches us what we need to know. He illumines the scriptures before our eyes. While others attack us and actively seek to lead us astray, the truth is awfully hard to hold on to. It's not just simply like memorizing for a test. No. We need to be protected and pointed to the purpose and value and grace of truth. And so for this, Jesus has sent His Spirit. He sent His Spirit so that we would be comforted. He sent His Spirit so that we would have confidence in the truth. And so we must hold on to the Spirit as well. We must seek His blessing. You see... The church is under attack today in 2015. But there's good news. The church was under attack in 115 too. And in 215. And so on. There have always been those who oppose Jesus Christ and His gospel. And they are antichrist. And the good news of the gospel is that God not only brings us to Himself, but He secures us to Himself by grace and by faith, by the power of His gospel and the work of His Spirit. So we can be bold as we go forth into a land of attacks, discerning the difference between falsehood and truth, understanding the difference between grace and lies. John is telling us that there is hope There is hope to hold on because of the work that our Lord Jesus Christ has done and is doing for us right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your warnings. We thank you, O Lord, that you have warned us that there are those who seek to lead us astray. We pray even now, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see your truth, that you would give us the bravery and the courage we need to declare your truth from the mountaintops. Lord, there is none like you. We thank you, O Lord, for all that you have done. And we pray that you would abide with us. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.